This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. I'm invited. Should we stand for the reading of God's Word? Would we stand this morning for the reading of God's Word? Y'all on? Yeah, very good. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estates of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our father, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Oh, man. Petra, thank you so much. Thank you. Go ahead. You may be seated. So, Father, we just would pray that you would just impact our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to tell you right up front what my prayer has been this week and particularly this morning as we, as we gather. And I just add my thanks um, to Mario and to the others. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being a part. Thank you for being online. And those of you who braved the weather, you're here. I, I so appreciate it. So, so very, very much. But I'm going to tell you right up front, I am praying that God will instill in each and every one of our hearts the reality that he lives in us. We're going to talk more about what that means, what that, what that looks like, that we are not alone in this life. I will tell you an experience I had one time, it's a few years ago, and Jen and I had this little Volkswagen bug. That was our mode of transportation. And so we put everybody in there, including the dog and all of our belongings. And I was driving along one day and... Um, I, um, I, I was praying, and, and I don't re- even remember if it was a particularly challenging time in my life, but I pulled up to a stop sign, and I will just tell you this. I had this overwhelming sense that God was with me in my Volkswagen bug, <laughs> that I wasn't alone, and that experience has stuck with me um, for many, many years now, for a number of years, and I just want all of us to live in that reality. And that's, that's actually what we're talking about today, but we're going to jump into that a little bit more in just, just a few moments. So thank you again, Petra, for, for reading. As I mentioned last week, as we launched this series from what's more commonly known as, as Mary's song, we are looking at four things that Mary kind of mentions um, in her po- poetry or in her, her song to the Lord, and here they are. The Almighty God is number one. So we talked about that last week, that God is the Almighty One. He is in all, and He is over all. Uh, Are you thankful for that? He is the Mighty One. He's the Holy One. We're going to be talking about that today. Next week, we'll be looking at the Merciful One, and then finally, the Arm of the Lord. So that's kind of our pathway this morning. But listen, the goal, and I pray that you have read, and I would, if you haven't, I would just encourage you to read and reread and meditate over this short passage and just let it sink deep in your heart. But the, the goal is to learn more about the one who has come and who is coming again and how the knowledge of he who has come changes who we are and how we live. It makes a difference in our lives. It's not enough just to know about him. We must live for him. 
And we have all the knowledge in the world about him, but does it change the way that we live? Does it change the way that I act and react? Um, does it change who I am? Is it noticeable to people that I'm in contact with? Or do I just live my life with kind of a checkbox? And here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we can kind of fall into reading God's Word, can't we? Uh, I, we? We can all do it so easily. So we can just check the box. I just read that, and I just read that, and I just read that. But does it sink deep into our heart, the knowledge of who He is. To reduce our lives to simple knowledge about God is an error, I believe, of misunderstanding who we are. Say that again. To just reduce our lives to just knowledge, which is good, it's good, but if that's all it is, then I think we miss who we are and what we are called to be about. So let me give you like a 30-second review of, of, of last week. In case you weren't here, we talked about the Almighty One. The Almighty One stands with me and is for me. He stands with me and is for me. So when you were out and about this past week, even if you were one of those unfortunate ones that kind of got slid off maybe the road into the ditch or whatever, I mean like challenging days happened to you, look, you, you weren't alone during that time. If you were one of those that received a phone call this week that was really challenging news to you, you were not alone in that moment. The Almighty One was with you. If you were faced with a decision that you were making this week, you didn't make that decision alone. God, the Almighty One, directs us and leads us and guides us. And that's what I call relationship. That's what I call relationship. He is there for you and he is there for me. Our loving father, aren't you thankful for this, just doesn't like, send us out into the world um, to do life on our own and, and then checks in with us from time to time when things go good or bad. Aren't you thankful for that? He's not that kind of father. He's not that kind of God. He, is, he goes with us. He is wherever we are, he is. He leads us and, and he guides us. And so the question that I want to ask this morning is this. Do we know him? And second, do we live for that? By that, do we have a personal, intimate knowledge of who, who he is? Well, we're gonna focus on that second part of, of number two up here, holy, holy is his name. Mary responds that way. Holy is his name. What's in the name? For each of us, it's for, for each of us, our name is, is what identifies us, ourselves to others. It's how we introduce ourselves. It's, it's our name. We don't go up to someone and introduce ourselves with, hey, I, I'm, I'm the white hair guy. <laughs> you know, you, uh, may I, I won't even tell you how many times, because I, I have forgotten how many times, that Jen would get a phone call. Or someone would see her and, and it would go like this, hey, saw you were walking with your dad. <laughs> the problem is it wasn't her dad, it was who? Yeah, well, she doesn't get those calls anymore. Now it goes like, hey, saw you were walking with your granddad. <laughs> no, it wasn't that. It's not that at all either. So like, like we, we identify ourselves by it. So we don't go up like, I'm the guy with the white hair. If I go home and tell Jen, hey, I met someone today. She doesn't go like, what do they look like? No, it's what, what's, what's their name? We don't, we don't um, introduce ourselves with another characterizing feature or anything like that. Safe to say that we prefer being called by our name, yes? Hey, you. 
usually doesn't get it. Now, we, we sometimes forget names. I sometimes for, forget names as, as well. Actually, some years ago, I had a person send me a note and say, I'm, I'm, leaving, I'm leaving the church because you forgot my name. <laughs> Which I responded, who is this? No, I didn't. <laughs> I know. I, I, didn't, I didn't do that. I, 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 I apologize. But see, a name is important. It's interesting to me as I begin to focus on holy is his name. And I have prayed that um, the knowledge of who he is, that a holy God desires to live in you and in me. And in fact, he does. Here it is. For he who is mighty, the almighty one, has done great things for me, had done great things for me, and holy is his name. Will you say that? Holy is his name. God's name is holy. Psalm 111, verse 9. He sent redemption to his people. He commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Commentators have pointed out that the Magnificat or Mary song is full of quotations and allusions to passages in, in the Old Testament. So we always talk about, like, just don't be a New Testament reader. Be an Old Testament reader. Read the Bible. Listen to this, the example um, of Hannah, the prayer of Hannah. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, it's coming up on the screen as well. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. And you can read it with me. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. Revelation chapter 15, and they, the seven angels, sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? You alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed." Where does one start when considering a holy God? When Moses was confronted with the holiness of God, and you read about that in Exodus chapter 3, you may remember the, the burning bush and it, the, the call to him to remove his shoes because the ground you are standing on is holy. Where, where do we begin? When Mary says holy is his name, what exactly is she saying? What can we learn from that? How are we to understand the holiness of God? Passages like these and, and others, and more importantly, how do we respond and how do we live? The overwhelming reality of this season that we're in, Christmas season, is Emmanuel, God with us. He has come, the Holy One, to, to be with you and to be with me. Arthur Pink gives us this definition of, of the Holy One. He alone is independently, inf infinitely, immutably holy. In scriptures, he is frequently styled the Holy One. He is so, listen to this now, because the sum of all moral excellency is found in him. He is absolute purity, 
unsullied even by the shadow of sin. Holiness is the very excellency of the divine nature. The great God is glorious in holiness. There is none other, there is no other God who is or can be. His majesty has no equal. He alone is blameless, faultless, and absolute moral purity. Holiness can only be ascribed to God. This and this alone can only be who he is, who God is. Yet, and I, I think this is where I found myself this past week as I kind of meditated and, and walked through this passage, I, I found myself standing in, in awe and once again brought to this place like, but you want to be with me? But you want to live in me? This holy, morally perfect God? You, you want to take up residence in, in me? And us? A holy God, perfect in every way, invites us into a relationship with him. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think that we get away from that thought in our lives. I do. I think for some, sometimes um, we, we live this life, we're believers, we're followers of him, but I think sometimes it's possible that we get away from the reality that a perfect God, a holy God, wants to live in me, wants to take up residence in me. In fact, he has, and he has in you if you're a follower, if you're a believer. What does that look like? He pursues us. He pursued you, and he pursued me. Just think about it for a second. A holy God, the one who is morally perfect, he's pure in every way, desired a relationship with you, he pursued you. Somebody say amen or something. Say, say, he pursued you. The perfect God. Used to be years ago when, when um, some of us, when, when we were all younger, there used to be this bumper sticker that said, I found it. And I said, that's bad theology right there. Because you didn't find anything. You didn't find anything. And I didn't find anything. He found us. He pursued us. A holy, perfect God pursued you, and he pursued me. What's it look like? Well, um, when I found Jen, I pursued her. I chased her uh, in every way. The last thing I wanted for my wife was to be caught with somebody that was lesser than what she deserved. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so I pursued her. Man, I bought her stuff, you know. Um, I did all kinds of things. I chased, I chased that woman down and, um, and convinced her that she should be with me. Anyway, uh, I think it was a good deal, right? Okay. So she, oh yeah, all right. So, okay, so she's down there. So we've been married for a number of years now. So anyway, um, I pursued her. And, and I bet that's the story of, of many of you in your relationship too. God 
pursued you. And God pursued me. See, every other man-made religion tells us how we pursue God, what we must do and what we must be. I remember sitting in my office one time, and a gal came in. It was a cold call. She stopped by. As I sat with her, um, I became um, agitated, I think is the word I might, I might use, but not agitated at her, just at how spiritually blinded because she was from the Baha'i faith. And so it was all about doing and being and the right things and all this that goes on and on and on. And my spirit was agitated because that's, that's, that's not what God does. God that we know does. He pursues us. Man-made religion says how we must act and what we must do and the person we must be. The story of the Bible is of a holy God pursuing mankind. The one who is the sum of all moral excellency desires relationship with us. I don't know what that does for you, but for me, it causes me to kind of sit back and go like, really, God? And thank you, God? Mentioned the book of Exodus chapter 3 where Moses is presented with his burning bush of theophany. God shows up in this way. Remove your shoes, Moses. The land you're, the, the, the ground you're standing on is, is holy. And then we begin to see how God is working to um, rescue his, his people. In fact, he says, I've come down. I've, I've, heard, I've heard the cries of the people. and I've come down to rescue them. And, and the, the, the Exodus has been called one of the greatest redemption events in the Old Testament. It, it is, and I know that like for most of us, like love reading about that, right? And watching how Pharaoh reacted to the different plagues and, and so on, and ultimately God laying his people out of, out of captivity. But, but sometimes we stop there, and we skip over the next numbers of, of, of chapters, and I think we, we miss a really important point when we do that, important part of who God is. See, it's on Mount Sinai, Moses receives the Ten Commandments, read about that, along with some other regulations, and during this time, he's given this blueprint for the, for the tabernacle, and I know for many of your Bible readers, maybe, maybe that's part of the Bible you're just kind of reading through and reading through and reading through, but this would be a place where God would dwell, um, this, this portable sanctuary where he would dwell among his people until a more permanent house could, could be built. He was going to be with his people. The word tabernacle comes up from a Hebrew root meaning to, to dwell. It just means that dwell, a holy God would dwell with his people. Just listen to the close of Exodus chapter 40, verse number 34. After all this was completed, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle day by day, and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all of those journeys. Can you imagine what that was like in that moment? And the glory 
of the Lord fill the temple. The only, the closest thing I can come to that in my own personal life was the moment that I, I received Jesus as my Savior. And I, I don't know, I, I, the only way I can describe it is I became a brand new person. It was as if the glory of God, I mean, falls on, fell on me. And that would be your experience in some way, perhaps as well. We were changed. I mean, we felt God in us. God's desire to be with his people didn't start there. It's always been. You can go right back to the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Let's just stop there for just a moment. Have you ever paused at that reading in Genesis and just kind of wondered what that would have been like? They heard God walking in the cool of the day. What, what, did that, what was that like? What did that sound like? God was there. Now we know the next part, um, man had fallen, and so we read, man and wife hid himself, themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to them, where, where are you? You see, God has always wanted to live with his people, to be in relationship. Always. It's you and me. In John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word, who's the word? Yes, became flesh. And what did he do? He dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the, of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The TLV version, Tree of Life version, says it this way, and I love it, so I present it to you. The word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. He dwelt amongst us. He lived amongst us. No longer does he dwell in live in dwellings created by humans. He lives within us. We are his dwelling place. We are the tabernacle, the holy one, the one who is perfect has come in and taken up residence in your life and in mine. And so the question then is our response. How do we live? How do we live with that knowledge that God lives in us? You know what the answer is? It's really simple. No, it's not simple. Or is it simple? Holy. We're called to live holy. No, wait a minute. Like, how, how do we do that? Because if, 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 holy, if a holy God means he is perfect in all ways without sin, how, how do we do that? I think it was last week we talked about the um, omnipotence of, of God. He's, he's all-powerful. We know that those describe God, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient. Yet we, we are never called to live that way like, because we can't. We, we're not all-powerful, we're not all-knowing. All we can't be present everywhere. In fact, um, that's kind of what got Adam and Eve in trouble, isn't it? Like, the enemy says, like, you'll be like God, like knowing good. If you be like him, well, we know how that ended up. But when it comes to living holy, just listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that would be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, 
or the one who is morally perfect in every way, without fault, you also be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now we think like, okay, now how does that work out in, in, in my life? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. And wait a minute. But here's what I want to say to you. Like, here's the great opportunity that, that we have. Peter is talking to believers as God's people. Israel was given specific regulations that governed their living and set them apart from all others. As believers, as followers of Jesus... The people who God resides in, who tabernacles in, who dwells in, we are called apart from the world, living by God's standards in all areas of life. That's, that's what that means. We are to be set apart in how we live for him. Does that mean that you and I will be perfect? No. But we will be seen as different. Will we make, make, make mistakes? Yes, we will. Have you made a mistake this week? Have I? Yes, of course, we make mistakes, but we are to be people who live our lives apart from and to be seen as different. Holiness in our lives refers to being set aside for God's use, to walking in obedience to him and allowing his life to live through us. And this is the great opportunity you and I have. Like the Holy One, God who takes up residence in your life and mine, dwells within us, lives in us, and then lives through us. That's what it means to be living different, apart. In fact, Peter says, like, if we, we live this way, guess what's going to happen? Someone's going to ask you, why are you, why are you so happy? What's the reason, like, you have all this hope? Because they can see it in you. The one who lives in us. And so, I have a couple of questions for you this morning. Here they are. Number one, what is, what is the call to be holy or set aside for God's use mean to you? What's it mean to you? Just think about it. What does the call to be holy mean to you? To be set apart for his purposes. Think about that. Number two, what action step can you take to live holy before the Lord and others. How can he live in you and live through you as you go about your daily life? God with us. This is the story of the Advent season. Listen to Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The prophet Isaiah Chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is with you. He is with me. We are his dwelling place. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you're not your own. Listen, God has come. He lives in you and he lives in me. And we have the great privilege 
to live our life for him, set apart, different from all others. Because we are perfect, not on our own, because he has made us perfect and right, righteous, yes. And so we get to live for him. Amen? Let's stand together, shall we? I'm going to pray with you, and I'm going to pray two prayers. Number one, if you've never received Jesus as the Lord, your Savior, and I'm not presuming that everyone has online or here, have you experienced that moment um, when God reveals himself to you in such a way you go, God, I don't know, but I know I need you. I need you. Have you, have you made him Lord of your life? Does he live in you? I mentioned I was nine when that took place for me. I still remember it. Like it was yesterday. It was just one of those moments when it settled in my heart for all my life. Some of you, you were in a, you were in a car or you were at home. That's your experience or in some other place. Does it make any difference to place so that when you lift it up, your voice, you open up your heart to him, he, the Holy One, came in. And he lives in you. If you've never made that decision, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray for you. And I've said it so many times, there's no perfect set of words you just kind of put together. It just says, God, I need you. And I ask you to forgive me. Come into my life and make me a brand new person. If you pray that prayer with me, he does. He does. For many of us, maybe um, the reminder this morning that a holy God lives in you. And kind of th- focusing on that question maybe for just a moment, like what, what's that mean to me in my daily life? Maybe it means there's an adjustment in how I'm living my life. Maybe God's speaking to you right now. So you know what, that one area of your life, yeah, we need to bring some correction to that. And so I say, let's embrace that, shall we? Because that's the Holy Spirit just speaking to you and saying like there's something that's keeping you away from the relationship that I want to have with you, the full relationship I want to have with you. So we all give ourselves to him. So Father, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus You dwell within us. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. I thank you for the reality of that. And you change us. You give us a brand new hope and a brand new eternity. You love us that much. And so if you've never received the Lord as your Savior, I just invite you into this time, into this moment, saying, God, I ask you to forgive me and to make me a new person and I open up my heart and open up my life to you. I make you Lord of my life. I want to follow you the rest of my life. The Bible says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and you forgive us all of our sins. And I thank you for that. You did it for me as a nine-year-old boy. You did it for so many of us who are standing here that in that moment you made us a brand new person. And you would do that for each and every person who cries out to you. And so we say thank you. For some of us, God, as we are just reminded again this morning, the call to be holy or set apart because you live in us. God, we pray 
We open up our heart to you to bring maybe correction in some area of our life, I don't know, or maybe some change that you would call us to. God, we embrace what you're saying to us today. And the call to be set apart, to be set aside, to let you live in us and allow you to live through us so that the world will see and know you as a loving Father and a loving God. I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's sing it, shall we?
tree.